From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, and we saw a bit of an appropriations meltdown this week. House leaders were forced to abandon their plans to take up their defense spending bill when hardliners staged a mini rebellion and they couldn't muster enough Republican votes for the rule to take that up. And even in the Senate, after all this talk of bipartisanship in the Senate on appropriations, we saw the first stumble this week. They tried to get their first three spending bills of the year to the floor And there was a mini rebellion there by some hardline conservatives who didn't want all three bills taken up together. They wanted them handled individually. So a bit of chaos there. And yet at the same time, we saw House Republicans beginning, we think, to talk about coming together to see if they can pass a stopgap funding measure that's needed by the end of this month to avoid a partial government shutdown some rumblings of a possible deal there, at least among House Republicans, far from a sure thing. But to talk about all that, I have Peter Cohn, the deputy news editor at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Pete. Thanks, David. So where to begin on this chaotic week? First, I guess I have to say uh, you were right. Uh, You called it for all the talk of bipartisanship in the Senate. Uh, There wasn't so much bipartisanship this week, and we did see a little rebellion among some of the hardline conservatives, and it's not going to be as easy as they thought to to pass spending bills on the floor. Yeah, I mean, look, David, legislating is hard, right? You know, there's no easy way to do any of this. 29 to nothing vote in the Senate Appropriations Committee doesn't translate into getting 60 votes on on the floor. It may end up getting 60 votes at least on the floor. But in the meantime, you got if you have a determined uh, minority to use all the procedural tricks in the book, they can do pretty much what they want. And you're seeing the same thing play out in the House where you have a very small determined minority who's saying, look, we're not going to vote for rules to get these bills on the floor. And you know, if you, if you have to get 218 in the House and no Democrats are going to help out, you need us. So we may represent 5% of the views of Congress, but we have the votes to block what we want in the House. And so you're seeing the same thing play out across both chambers right now, where conservatives are saying, you know what, enough. Let's let's slow this whole thing down. Let's consider these bills one by one. And uh, we're going to want to see our, our priorities protected in this. Yeah, it is remarkable because, you know, these three Senate spending bills, they came out of committee on unanimous votes before the August recess. There was a lot of gushing about how united they are. And, you know, these bills do still have strong, probably overwhelming bipartisan support, and they're probably still going to pass on the floor. But of course, as we saw, all it takes is, is one senator to object. They need unanimous consent to package these bills together under these cumbersome rules they operate under. And that's what we saw where Ron Johnson, the Wisconsin Republican, put his foot down and said, no, I'm not ready to to vote on all three bills together. We, you know, there was all this talk of regular order. That means doing bills one at a time. He had enough. He called the Senate grotesquely dysfunctional and made clear his anger and there were others who were ready to join in who told us, you know, they don't want them packaged together either, and they want a lot more amendments. Uh, it's just tough. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, the rule book in the Senate is ex- is extremely important. I mean, procedure trumps pretty much anything in both chambers, but particularly in the Senate. So, you know, again, you had a determined minority willing to use the rule book to slow things down. Now, you're right. Eventually, these bills can pass, but the problem is time. You don't have a lot of it. You have, we now have, are down to two weeks before the government was shut down. And, uh, you know, we also had the Jewish holiday today and, and senators wanted to get out of town early. So, uh, you know, their, their airplanes were fueling up as they were basically discussing this on the floor yesterday. So there just wasn't really a lot of time to figure this out. But I mean, yeah, the germaneness rule in the Senate, Rule 16, is a big deal. You, uh, you cannot add unrelated matter to a spending bill. Or if, if, you, if you want to do that, you've got to either get unanimous consent to do that, or you've got to have the votes and you got to play out the whole process there on the floor with, uh, with multiple votes. And, uh, you know, in this case, basically overturning that germaneness rule can open up a whole can of worms, you know, open up, you know, decades and decades of Senate precedent and, uh, and really, you know, cause maybe some unintended consequences. So, you know, senators are going to need to think long and hard about how they deal with this. One, one option that, you know, Senator Thune, number two Republican, the whip, said yesterday as well, okay, maybe we need to just go back and only debate the the Milcon VA bill, uh, you know, instead of the uh, attacking the other two onto this. So, you know, that may be something they have to consider. But, um, you know, and in, in the House, of course, you've got, uh, we th- they'll probably be able to pass something over there. It's going to be very conservative. It's, uh, you know, probably not going to get too many Democratic votes. Uh, and it'll go over to the Senate and, uh, and, and stall out over there. And then the Senate's going to have to respond. Uh, and then, uh, you know, what, so what does the Senate do? And the conventional wisdom is they're going to add Ukraine money and that's going to come back to the House and the government's going to shut down because yeah, okay. so now we're talking about we'll put that on the floor. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, let's, I, I don't know. That's the conventional wisdom, but I have not heard anybody explain why on October 1st, that money has has to be appropriated for Ukraine on October, by October 1st. That has not been thir- been clearly articulated. You know, the, that money takes a long time to get actually distributed. Uh, and so it's been, they had at last count close to $6 billion left in, draw, in what they call drawdown authority to distribute weapon, weapons and equipment to Ukraine. So I don't know. I, I think the conventional wisdom probably is right that the Senate's going to amend the CR at some point late, you know, in September and send it back to the House to add the Ukraine money. But I don't know. I don't know if that's really the case. Do they want to shut the government down uh, over Ukraine at this point? Yeah, and I and we and I don't think it's not a matter of Ukraine needing the money by October first. Uh, they're not going to get it by October first anyway. It takes a long time to. I think the concern, particularly among Democrats, but also a lot of Republicans in the Senate, is if Ukraine aid is not attached to this must-pass stopgap funding measure, it's not going to get passed. Their concern is this this is the only way they can get a new round of Ukraine aid through in a you know a fairly short order amount of time. They're betting on a stopgap funding measure passing because who knows when the final year appropriations will be done. And that would really drag things out. So that's why I think you're going to see a push for the Ukraine money. Uh, which which clearly is not sitting well with House conservatives uh, and 
and I guess could cause a shutdown. We don't know. Yeah, that, but David, that, that, you know, but it's something to consider, David, is the, the CR they're talking about is probably only going to be four to six weeks. So we're probably looking at another CR before they get to, to hammering out the entire full year budget. So they might the have another December. crack at the apple so then, sure. They're right. going to, of course, have, they're going to have another crack at this. And I, I, you know, I think right. by then you may have ground down some of the opposition to doing this. I mean, Zelensky's going to be on the Hill next week. He's going to be in Washington talking to everybody and trying to drum up support for, for this money. Um, you know, I think the idea is maybe that's going to put some pressure on some of these conservatives to bend a little bit on the, on the Ukraine money too. You know, you've also got potentially a compromise where they get additional military assistance, but the economic and, and humanitarian aid piece of this, the, the sort of the rebuilding uh, uh, piece of this gets gets pushed off. That's something that Senator Joni Ernst, who's I think number four in the Senate leadership, brought up. So I don't think, I mean, even even the Ukraine hawks in the Republican Party are not unified on exactly how much and what pieces of this money have to be done, you know, yesterday. There is a, a, a you know, active debate going on about exactly when this money is needed, what pieces of the money are needed. Does it, does it absolutely have to be t- the full 20 billion on October 1st? You know, these are the discussions that are happening right now, and it's a real debate. This is not just, you know, cons- you know, a bunch of of um, conservative rabble rousers just trying to throw sand, in, completely throw sand in the gears and shut everything down. I mean, there's a real policy debate going on over this. Yeah, and meanwhile, Pete, there's there's some fascinating talks going on now where the focus on, among the House Republicans is not Ukraine aid, but they they want to see. Stopgap funding measure paired with a border security measure, uh, and there there have been some intriguing talks going on between the hardliners, the Freedom Caucus, and the more mainstream, you know, Main Street Caucus, Main Street Partnership, they call it in the House, who are trying to iron out a p- potential compromise deal on a stopgap bill that would pair the the extension of funding with some kind of border security measure. Can that fly? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something on border security could fly. I mean, it's clearly not going to be the, the full, you know, Monty of what the Freedom Caucus has been looking for. I mean, HR two, the bill to pass the House, is not going to pass the Senate. Uh, you know, even even as part of some must pass package. So the question is, you know, what can you do? But I think Republicans have identified an issue here that that has some legs because you have substantial pockets. Uh, in the Democratic Party, in the Democratic parts of the country, uh, New York City, to name one big one, uh, they're having major problems with uh, with the border and, and the migration issue right now. So I think Republicans smell a political opening here um, to do something that gets through. They, you know, they, they look at the Biden administration border request and they look at it as all essentially uh, money to make it easier for people to come into this country, not to keep them out. So, you know, that's the debate they're having. They're looking at uh, who are the Democrats in the Senate that are going to be politically exposed on this, you know, conser- more conservative, from more conservative parts of the country, red state Democrats that are up for re-election next year. And, uh, you know, I think they're banking on some ultimately concessions coming out of the Senate uh, on the border issue as part of a final, a final deal. But, of course, that would have to have bipartisan support uh, in order to get through the Senate, at least. And um, 
it that does seem like a real tough tough slog there, because there are purple yeah there are but there are purple and red state senators that are going to be willing to discuss that issue that's the point i'm trying to make it is not yeah. you know there is not a just like on the republican side there isn't this monolithic view of say the ukraine issue on the democratic side there is not a monolithic view on the on the border i mean look at you know one of our one of our major presidential candidates uh a couple of years ago michael bloomberg uh, who for a while was, uh, you know, enjoying a, a pretty good run in the primaries, uh, just published an op-ed the other day, basically said the Biden administration is, is you know, not doing its job on the border. So, you know, Democrat, you the, the Democratic uh, mayor of New York, who's, uh, you know, had serious concerns with what's going on and, and you know, is, in, is running to all kinds of headaches uh, over there. So, you know, again, this is something that Republicans smell an opening on and, you uh, you know, they're trying to force the Democrats to the table on this. And, you know, it, it's not, it can't be ignored. Let's put it that way. I don't know if it's going to get resolved by October 1st, but, um, you know, we may shut down. Look, hey, you know, I think I said last week, the odds are about 35% for a shutdown. They're, they're probably higher than that now. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to lie. Okay. All right. Well, I know our time is short. So uh, thank you, Peter Cohn, for joining me again. I appreciate your insights on this. Yeah, I got to run. Thank you, David. And thanks to our our loyal uh, CQ Budget Podcast listeners. Hopefully, I'll I'll see you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Pete. And now let me turn to Paul Krawczak, a senior budget writer at CQ Roll Call. Thanks for being here, Paul. Well, thanks for inviting me, David. So let me pick up where I left off with Pete, which are these intriguing talks between different factions of the House Republican Conference here, between the right-wing Freedom Caucus and the more centrist Main Street Partnership, that seem like they're, they've been described as productive talks. You don't hear that word bandied about very often right now, <laughs> but they, you know we've only got two more weeks before the shutdown. They seem like they could pass some kind of stopgap measure through the House that would have border security in it. Still sounds like a real long shot to me, but I don't know. How do you think things are shaping up, Paul? Well, you, you know, so border security is one piece, um, and the hardline conservatives are asking for some other things as well, uh, demanding them, really, some of them are demanding them. Um, Anti-woke policies, in, in uh, putting those into the into the Pentagon and to, into some other uh, aspects of the uh, federal government. I, I think there's a good chance that the House Republicans work out um, a continuing resolution that they can pass. It's um, obviously would not have everything the hardliners want, but but it, it might be good enough for the hardliners and it, it, it might be okay for the, the more moderate Republicans. Um, I think good chance that they, uh, they pass that. It's un- unlikely to have much Ukraine aid or even any Ukraine aid in it. Um, it seems like no that, Ukraine aid in the house. I mean, uh, yeah, that's the way it looks. Um, and then it, then it goes to the Senate. So then the key in the Senate is, you, you know, not only, you know, will the Senate add, you know, some Ukraine aid uh, probably, but that's not going to be the only issue. I mean, this CR in order to pass in the house is, is going to have to have policies in it that will be unacceptable to Senate Democrats. So I have to assume that the Senate is that Senate Democrats will modify that CR. 
and then try to pass it in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just such a a mess right now. There, there's not even agreement of how long the funding extension should be. You know, normally they they do an extension until mid December to give them time to finish these appropriations bills. And then, you know, just before Christmas, we get a big omnibus package to get to get it all done. Speaker Kevin McCarthy has made clear he won't do that. They're, they seem to be looking at a much shorter time frame of maybe just a month, month and a half, which won't give them much time again to do to finish appropriations which would open them up to having to do another stopgap and another round of these contentious talks, even if they get this one through, which means we have maybe two chances of a shutdown this fall. And then beyond the duration of this thing is, the, is, is exactly what we've been talking about is what are they going to put in this policy-wise that everybody can sign off on? It does seem like the Freedom Caucus folks are going to demand something on border security. We don't know how much yet. Ideally, they want the package, the bill that they had passed out earlier this year that that restarted border wall construction and curb migration and all, all kinds of tough measures. I, I have a hard time believing they'll get all of that, but they're, they're going to want some pieces of that at least. And then we don't know if they just want to extend current funding. I mean, the Freedom Caucus folks would want to see a cut to current funding. We don't know if that's possible. It's certainly not going to have Ukraine aid in it in the House. I think they've been pretty clear on that. They're going to demand that in the Senate. There's been talk of, of gun rights measures coming into this thing or, or um, Justice Department measures. I don't know. And, there's, and yet there's also talk that we could see a, we could see a bill on the, on the House floor next week on this if, if they can actually conclude these talks. I mean, you get all kinds of mixed signals right now, Paul. Well, yeah, you've identified some other issues, and one in particular is the um, the hardline conservatives in the House. Want, uh, a continuing resolution typically temporarily extends spending at current levels, which would be fiscal 2023 levels. But the hardline conservatives are demanding a 1% cut to those levels. It's hard to see how that would be acceptable in the Senate among Democrats in particular. And so I think that is really going to be a sticking point. Yeah, although, although Paul, if this only extends funding for four to six weeks, the difference in the actual funding uh, of cutting 1%, you know, it's for four to six weeks, it's, it couldn't possibly be that monumental. I mean, it, it, I'm not sure symbolically it might be important to people, but as a practical matter in terms of how much money is available, I'm not sure it really is going to matter one way or the other. Well, well, I think you're right. I mean, I think, you know, the shorter the CR is, and the less that will be an issue. But I think it is a strategic concern for both sides because, yeah. you know, as as we know, um, if, if, if all the spending bills are, are not passed or if a CR is not passed for a full year, then by April 30, per the you know the budget law, there will be a one percent cut to spending. So Republicans are looking at this and saying, if we pass a CR at current levels, that sort of sets a precedent of we are going to go forward at current spending levels. Hardline conservatives don't want that; they want to cut the spending levels. In the Senate, they're also looking at that and they're saying. 
if we pass a CR with a 1% cut, that will sort of set a precedent, a possible precedent, that we are going to end the year with a 1% cut. So there are strategic reasons why Democrats are going to be opposed to a 1% cut in the CR, and conservatives are going to want a 1% cut in the CR. Yeah, that's a good point. It just shows how complicated this is, even to do a very short-term funding extension. It's, it's, it's just pulling teeth, which is why I think a lot of the betting now is we are going to see some kind of temporary shutdown in a few weeks, probably. I mean, safe to say, I, th- I think that's sort of the current betting is that it, it's more likely than not that, that there's some kind of shutdown because now, even if the House can pass a stopgap bill and get, get all the fractious Republican conference folks together on it, they're going to need time to iron out another compromise with the Senate on it with, with very little time. I mean, I, so if I had to bet, you know, maybe I think I'm leaning toward the shutdown, not against it at this point. What do you think? Yeah, the, the betting really has moved in the direction of um, there is widespread belief on the Hill that there is going to be a shutdown. So, you know, I mean, and we're running out of time, as you said, with a couple weeks to go. I I mean, I don't think a shutdown is inevitable because, I mean, I think that, you know, especially if you go with the short-term CR and if you're able to work out a compromise between the House and the Senate on a short-term CR, uh, then, you know, then maybe maybe the hardline conservatives are willing to wait until the next CR comes up. Hard to say. I mean, the fact the fact that, you know, conservatives and moderates are trying to work out a deal in the House is is good sign. But I mean, there have been good signs many times in the past before a shutdown and, and they don't prevent a shutdown. Yeah. And I did just want to touch on what happened this week on the defense spending bill, Paul, because it was striking to me. I mean, the defense bill was something you know, of all the 12 annual spending bills, defense was the one that House Republicans support the most, I think it's fair to say. And it was a partisan bill written by Republicans. They had loaded it up this year with all kinds of conservative policy riders they wanted, all this culture war stuff that they wanted, you know, from banning drag queens at military bases and preventing Pride Month, all of this stuff that was in there at their insistence. And yet they couldn't muster the votes to bring it up this week. The hardliners rebelled. They wouldn't support the rule for the bill without really articulating a reason. They never said they were against the bill. They never said they were against the policy riders. They'd support the policy riders. They never really said they're against the rule. It really wasn't about the whole bill. It was just a power play by some of the hardline Freedom Caucus folks to say, no, we don't want to take up these spending bills until there's more of an overall agreement on overall spending levels was their basic message. And so until they had, a, they were satisfied with what the overall spending level for the government would be this coming year, they just want to block all the spending bills. It was a fascinating power play, um, I thought, that really threw House leaders off guard. Well, yes. And, you know, actually, you can go back a couple months. And, I mean, conservatives were issuing those demands some time ago that they would not, they would not vote for bills 
until they got the overall spending agreement that they that they wanted. They want to go. I mean, the House already went below the agreed upon cap levels in the budget uh, deal. But and, not to the satisfaction of the Freedom Caucus folks, right? Right, right. They wanted it even lower than that. Um, yeah. So, you know, they, they, and this is kind of related to something else. Um, there are there are some some groups out there, some hardline conservative groups, which are they're not exactly pushing for a shutdown, but they're saying, don't be afraid of a shutdown. Insist on getting, you know, this and this and this and this in a continuing resolution. And if you don't get that, a shutdown is not a big deal. And, you know, that relates to this um, inability to pass the defense bill. I mean, there, there is a group out there that is making demands that, you know, certainly from a certain point of view are, are unrealistic. And, you know, we, we talked with Eric Cantor, you know, the former, you know, House Majority Leader some time ago, uh, Republican who was, you know, there with, you know, Speaker Boehner, you know, and during the, the shutdown back in 2013. And, you know, what he told us was we did not have an end game when we shut down the government. You know, they shut down the government and the, the demand was, you know, we will reopen the government when we defund Obamacare, the, the health care law. They, they did not achieve defunding Obamacare. The government reopened. Eric Kanner said we did not have an end game at that time. And he has been warning that there is no end game now. So, you know, let's say you shut down the government over these demands. How do you persuade Democrats to agree to these demands during the shutdown? Yeah, there's certainly no sign of an end game. They, they, they know they don't have the, the Freedom Caucus must know it doesn't have the votes to get its way in the end. It seems like they just want to make their take their stand and make their case and just see what happens. But let me also, before we go, Paul, um, get your take on what happened in the Senate this week, because um, I don't think that was really expected either. We, we, were, we were thinking there was smooth sailing in, on the Senate side. They've prided themselves for so long on working in a bipartisan way on their spending bills. And the, it certainly was bipartisan in the Appropriations Committee. Most of the bills are flying, flew through with unanimous votes. Uh, and yet they finally got to the floor this week and and calamity. Yeah, I mean, I think Pete put that very well earlier. You know, things were going very swimmingly for a while, you know, and Pete was telling us, don't expect this to continue. It's 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 not this easy in the Senate. Um, you know, he, as he pointed out, you know, one person can can stop progress um, in the Senate. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he he put it very well. It's. Uh, Appropriations legislation is not easy to pass in the Senate. It takes a lot of work. Yeah, although I would bet that they they rescue this next week and um, find some way to appease the hardliners so that they can they can get these measures moving. I would think if they they need to cut a deal and offer votes on on some amendments that conservatives want, but they do have to get the the hardliners to cave on this idea of of not taking up three bills in a package, right? That seems to be the big stumbling block here. And I think I think the uh, appropriations leaders make a good point there, Paul, because the fact is the Senate just doesn't have enough time to take up all 12 bills individually. This is, the, this is we're, we're toward the end of September already. Uh, they just don't have the floor time to take up each bill separately. They've got to bundle them in some way because of the cumbersome procedures on the floor of passing bills. 
so what are we talking about? I mean, it's it's either it's either it's either these little bundles of bills or or nothing and a shutdown or or a big omnibus at the end of the year. Right. Yes. And the Senate appropriations leaders were saying, you know, look, you don't you don't want an omnibus, right? So we are trying to pass a three bill package, and then later maybe we'll try to pass other packages. But this is how we avoid an omnibus. We don't have time to pass each individual bill. Of course, that's what they're supposed to do, pass each individual bill, or at least that was the original intention. Right. But of course, the appropriations process has been broken for a long time now. So we are where we are. But that's all the time we have for today. If you like what you hear here, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter, which hits your inbox in your email uh, every morning that Congress is in session. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all of our budget coverage at CQ.com or RollCall.com. My thanks again to Peter Cohn and Paul Krozak for joining me. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time. Thank you.